You just ruin your white sweater. No, almost though. I spilled. <laughs> We're drinking red wine and Amanda's just being a mess. <laughs> Carmen Coconut. Welcome, welcome. um, Amanda. And I'm Morgan. And we're on the second episode of our season. Awesome. Love you guys to be here. We're still for coming. Yeah. We're still working on the same wine, same charcuterie board. This is Morgan's episode. So lay it on us. It's going to be a long one, I've heard. All right. We got a tank. There we go. All right. So I actually did my episode on William Bonin or Bonin. I've heard both. So, I've heard William Bonin or William Bonin. Either way, sick fuck. I like Bonin better. Me too, because he did be Bonin. Okay. Like a sick fuck. (laughs) (laughs) A.K.A. the Freeway Killer. Ooh. I think Ashley wanted to do this one. So, he was born William George Bonin on January the 8th in 1947 in Wilmantic, Connecticut. He was the second child born to his parents, Robert and Alice Bonin. Both of his parents were alcoholics, and his father suffered from a horrible gambling addiction. So it was, like, destined to fail from the get-go. I mean, it was never set to be I mean, some cookie-cutter life. I feel like what that's the only issue so far is that his father... Well, his father was also physically abusive to not only William, but also his siblings. Okay. Due to his alcoholism and abuse that was happening at the household, a lot of the local neighbors and townsfolk, they took pity on the kids, which understandably so. And they would provide, you know, clothing and food for them because their parents weren't providing Just at home. fucking take them in. They didn't care, obviously. Well, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, they didn't give a shit. So once the abuse had gone on long enough, all three children had been taken from their parents and placed in the care of their grandfather, who was a convicted child molester. Oh, and no. And he had even raped Alice, so William's mom. He had been known to rape... His own daughter. So, like, I don't know why you would take the kids from one situation and just put them right into a new one. Yeah. Doesn't make it any better. Do you think maybe that um, they could have also been his children? I don't think so. Okay. Um, but due to, you know, him have being a convicted child molester, all three of the children, so William and his two siblings, were all subjected to sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So you go from one house that's abusive and alcoholism to a... Child molester. That's going to be a common theme in this season. Oh, yeah. So in 1953, Bonin's mother placed all three children into an orphanage in order to protect them from any further sexual abuse or physical abuse. They were known for having severe punishments of the children that were in the shelters. The types of punishments they were subjected to were severe beatings, enduring stress positions, and partial drownings in sinks. Well, yeah. So potentially they were being waterboarded. Yeah, I used to watch, well, I still do watch. I'm a very big, big fan of Ghost Adventures. And every time they visit orphanages from, like, old times, like, those kids were, like, that an orphanage was not a place you wanted to be. Oh, yeah. I'm sure even now it's not a place you want to be, but back then it's, like, you're going to get fucking beat. You're going to get tortured. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that, unfortunately, was just kind of, like, the way it was. William later would willingly speak about his childhood when living at home and even with living with his grandfather, but he would not speak about the treatment and neglect he received while he was in the orphanage. Mm. So I'm assuming it was pretty bad. Yeah. The only thing we know about William's stay in the orphanage is that he had considered he had consented to sexual acts with older males, but only if they tied his hands behind his back. He would only consent if he was bound. What? That leads a lot into his future. Okay. <laughs> William's parents took three children out of the orphanage when William was nine. So, I mean, he wasn't even eight years old consenting to sexual acts with older men. So, like, obviously he had a pretty well understanding of sexual 
I guess, acts or I even sexual say, engagements. I wouldn't even seen. I would not say understanding. I would no, say, but it was he understood. Not he didn't understand what was happening, but like he had a well knowledge. Yeah, mm-hmm. I consent, but make sure you tie me up first. That's fucking weird. Okay. <laughs> So, William began getting in trouble with the law early on in his life, with his first offense being when he was only 10 years old. He got arrested for stealing license plates, and this resulted in him being placed into a juvenile detention center. Why would you steal a license plate? Um, a lot of people do it for, like, unmarked vehicles. Um, like, if you don't have a title, so you don't have a plate, or if you steal a vehicle, mm. you'll swap the plates out. Okay. While William was placed in juvenile detention center, he was still abused and neglected. William was forced to have sexual relations with his much older male counselor. His entire life has been nothing but, like, male abuse. Mm -hmm. Following William's time in juvenile detention, his parents had to foreclose on their house, which made them ultimately decide to move to California, where they lived in a modest home. Although shortly after his move, William's dad passed away from cirrhosis of the liver. So, once he was in California, William was known to have sexually assaulted not only his brother, but other boys in his neighborhood. So, he kind of spiraled down this path of what was done to him he did to others. Yeah, that's a common thing. This season has a theme. Yeah. (laughs) He was able to lure young children into his home with the promise of alcohol. So essentially, I I scratch your back, you scratch mine, kind of. On top of William sexually assaulting these younger kids, he was also known for robbery, petty theft, and grand theft. So, I mean, his life shortly after moving to California, getting out of juvenile attention, it was was a life of crime. That's still a thing today for sure. Oh, yeah. First of all, if you're too young to be listening to this, shame on you but also i've had people tell me they're like yeah when i was younger i was like 15 14 this lady was like we'll give you beer but then would like i'd come over to drink beer and swim and she was like a little handsy you Mm -hmm. know yeah Mm -hmm. i mean so the moral story is never take alcohol from adults yeah unless it's like your parents in a safe way (laughs) yeah in a safe way not like creepy just be safe (laughs) yeah just just be be safe. safe fuck so once William graduated high school in 1965, he shortly got engaged. This engagement was heavily influenced by his mother, who thought that if William was to marry a woman, it would take away her son's evident homosexuality. I mean, his whole life has been nothing but sexual abuse from men. I'm not saying that made him gay, but I think it definitely pointed him into a decision. Yeah. And that just, I mean, unfortunately, that just kind of was what it was, and his mom just had to deal with it, but she didn't want to, so she forced him into an engagement. With this, he went to enlist in the Air Force when he went to serve five months in Vietnam. William was an aerial gunner who logged over 700 hours of combat and patrol time. While serving his time in Vietnam, William came to the realization that human life is overvalued. On one instance, while he and his military team were under fire, he risked his life to save his fellow airmen. Later on, Bonin would go to admit that he engaged in sexual acts with both men and women while he was in Vietnam, he would also admit that he sexually assaulted two fellow soldiers at gunpoint. Bonin deserved, well, he deserved it, but he served a total of three years in the Air Force before he was honorably discharged. I can rewind. He didn't deserve that shit. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't deserve any of that. Fuck him. Bonin went on to serve a total of three years in the Air Force before he was honorably discharged in 1968. Once discharged, Bonin got married and had a son. However, the couple divorced shortly after. And I'm going to say right now, there is no more reference to that child or that wife. I will say, like I said, there's no other speak of them. Good. The, the witness yeah. protection, whatever. So moving on to his first convictions, on November the 17th, 1968, he was only 21 years old. Bonin sexually assaulted a minor, and this was just the beginning of a slippery slope that would lead to him committing three further sexual assaults upon boys and youths over the next four months. So, like, once he started, it was just, like, all downhill from there. Yeah. I mean... And I think that's, like... um. And Ashley and I have 
we've talked about this in past podcasts, but when you are fearful of your life at a young age, your vision of reality is skewed. Oh, yeah. So you You view everything differently. Nothing is valuable. No, no. You have no empathy, really. Like, you're like... Why should I care if all this shit happened to me when I was young? I mean, if it happened to me when I was young, doesn't it happen to everybody kind of thing? I feel like you're very sheltered because when that stuff happens to you, you kind of shut down. Yeah. And you don't realize that, hey, this isn't normal. Especially when it went from, you know, his father being physically abusive to his grandfather being sexually abusive. And then, you know, going to an orphanage where he was also sexually abused. abused. So, I mean, I think to him, he almost probably felt like this was normal. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that he knew it was wrong, but I think that he knew nothing else. Well, yeah, you're like, what is a normal life like? Really, what is a normal life like? Yeah, you I know, mean, so many people are subjected to torment every day. Yeah, you're you're lucky or you aren't really. Right. So the victims that he had gone on to sexually assault, they were aged 12 to 18, and all of these assaults he had bound or otherwise restrained the boys. He then forcibly engaged in sodomy, oral copulation, and several methods of torture, which entailed bludgeoning and the squeezing of his victim's testicles. In 1969, Bonin was arrested for an attempt he made against a 16-year-old. He lured the child into his vehicle. This led him to being indicted on five counts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy, one count of oral copulation, and one count of child molestation against the five prior youths. How he only got one count of child molestation for molesting five this point, yeah, five. I don't know. Well, you have one person giving their testimony against it, and typically kids have a hard time talking about that shit. Okay, we got no this your guy, word against his. No other evidence. No, you have no idea. Like you'll find out soon. This guy literally got off so easy, so many times. Where they're like, "Hey, actually, yeah, you're a piece of shit." So many times he got off easy. Yeah, because there's no like the legal bindings are honestly so fucking loose. Yeah. So in January of 1971, Bonin would go on to plead guilty to his charges. He was sentenced to the Atascardo State Hospital as a mentally disordered sexual offender. He didn't even serve jail time. While Bonin was being detained, he underwent a lot of psychiatric examinations, which would show that he had a higher than average IQ of 121. He had manic depression and damage to his prefrontal cortex, which would more than likely reduce his ability to restrain himself from violent impulses. Yeah, it's almost always like the smart ones, especially when subjected to abuse slash torture at a young age. It's like it creates this big confliction. And that's like something that comes up often. Like Jeffrey Dahmer was very intelligent. He was very smart. And so was Ted Bundy. Yeah. They were smart men. But they had shit happen to them. So they're like, what's what's the point? Like, I just put honey on my laptop. The spicy honey. <laughs> it do be spicy. <laughs> so... On September 8, 1974, only three months after he was released, he came across a 14-year-old hitchhiker named David Allen McVicker. Bonin offered him a ride to his parents' home in Huntington Beach. Once David was in the vehicle with Bonin, he was taken aback by Bonin asking him if he was gay. David then asked Bonin to stop the vehicle, which enraged William, and he pulled a gun on David and ordered him to undress, which led to him beating him and then raping him. Yeah, it's the the rejection triggers. Oh, yeah, they don't do well with rejection. After William sexually assaulted David, he began to strangle him with his own t-shirt, but shortly stopped once David began screaming. William apologized to David and drove him home, but not before saying, we'll meet again. Okay, that's good. He's a sick fuck. That's dumb, okay, from a, if I'm, if I was a rapist slash murderer. If I was in his shoes, I wouldn't have let the kid go. But also, if you look at the Night Stalker, the Night Stalker would kidnap and rape children, but he would always let them go. And they still couldn't catch him. 
Well, yeah, because kids... They, they don't have the mental cortex to speak about it. Like, they don't understand what just happened to them. Once David was dropped off, he immediately told his mother of the attack. Good for him, by the way. Yeah. And she quickly informed the police. Once police were notified, William was charged with the rape, forcible oral copulation, and the attempted abduction of a 15-year-old. And this attempted abduction happened just two days after the attack of David. So he was charged with another attempted kidnapping that's like a, on top of it. That's like a spiraling almost. They're smart to an extent where they're like, okay, every once in a while. But then they hit a point where they're like one right after the another. Oh, yeah, like, for it's sure. Like a, it's an addiction. He went the same way. I mean, honestly, like, once we really get into him, he just... He fell well, into it and he couldn't th- stop. And that's what's most important. In the attempted abduction, Bonin had offered the 15-year-old $35 for sex. In response, William that's attempted to hit lot. the minor with his vehicle. No, that's not a lot of money, honestly. Like, give me more because <laughs> if you're going to, like, sodomize me and try and gag me with my own T-shirt, pay me more than $35. <laughs> Kids don't don't have a... They don't know what monetary value is. Right, right. Not saying that you should do anything like that for money. (laughs) Well, I was talking to our cousin the other day, and she had just lost two front teeth. And so she got $5 for each tooth. And I was like, well, you realize when you lose all your baby teeth, that's going to equal like $100. Because you have about 20 primary teeth. (laughs) She was like, I could buy a PS5. And I was like, no, you can't. You could buy like a seventh of a PS5. She's like... Well, maybe I'll buy a TV. You can't buy a TV either. Like, <laughs> no, they don't. They don't know. So they don't understand. It's awful, really. It's terrible. So once William had pled guilty to these charges, and in December of 1975, he was sentenced to serve anywhere from one to 15 years in prison. However, he was released October of 1978. He didn't even serve a full two years for that shit. <sighs> I hate it. I that <laughs> shit makes me so fucking mad. Mm, I, I bet it. you they like kicked themselves in the asses oh everybody everybody that works there was like fuck we hate this is what we have to do yeah well but i'm sure like once they found out what kind of a person he really turned into be they were like fuck we fucked up like we fucked up so once he was released he began renting an apartment relatively close to his mom's home he then would find employment as a truck driver for montebello delivery company called dependable drive away William also made himself a reputation among the minor boys in the area as his apartment was a space for kids to hang out and socialize. He also would provide alcohol to them. So it almost felt like a safe space to them, but little did they know. Yeah. That shit ain't safe. Quickly after he moved into this apartment, William had become acquaintances with a 43-year-old neighbor named Everett Frazier. Bonin had become a frequent attender of parties Frazier had held at his apartment, though these parties Bonin would come to meet a 21-year-old named Vernon Butts. First off, horrible name, (laughs) Vernon Butts. And it really is spelled B-U-T-T-S. He also met an 18-year-old named Gregory Miley. Vernon had a fascination with occultism, and he would later claim that he is both intrigued and afraid of William, but he also admitted that he had a great delight in watching William abuse and torture victims. He's a cuck. Yeah. Miley, on the other hand... scary (laughs) cuck. Miley, on the other hand, he was an illiterate Texas native with nothing more of an IQ of one... I'm sorry, of 56. Oh, that's also, low. <laughs> it's not even half of Williams. That's low. It's not even half of Williams' IQ. But he also actively participated in the murders that William did. So now we're getting to the juicy, the murder sprees. Okay, all right. So Williams' main targets were young hitchhikers, schoolboys, or sometimes male prostitutes. Majority, if not all, of his victims were aged 12 to 19. Nobody left their teens. The boys were either forced or enticed to get into the Olive Green Ford Eco Econoline van. So, I mean, he had this van modded 
like to the max. He like took out any indoor handles. So once they were in there, like the boys were in the back, they couldn't get out. The only way out was if somebody opened it from the back, like from the outside or the passenger or driver side. But once he was able to like get them in the van, they were overpowered and bound with either handcuffs, wires or cords around both of the hands and the feet. So similar to kind of like what he was doing in orphanage. Yeah. Once the boys were bound, they would be sexually assaulted, beaten extensively in the face, head, and genitals. They would then be tortured before being killed. So, I mean, he absolutely, like, tortured these kids. They would typically be killed by strangulation with their own t-shirts, although some of the victims were actually stabbed to death. One victim in particular actually was forced to drink hydrochloric acid. Three victims had ice picks driven into their ears, and one of the last victims died of pure shock. What the fuck? Like, just pure shock. Holy shit. But the one that he literally had drink hydrochloric acid? Are you fucking... Are you fucking me? That is wild. I mean, he was psycho. I mean, literally died of shock. I I feel like all the kids getting the situation of like, oh, I'm going to do sex work. or I'm not saying that all of them are like that because everybody comes from a traumatic background, whatever, like, that leads you to believe that, like, this is the only way. But how on earth do you feel, like, doing something like that, that you are safe? I mean, I... Like, I, how? Especially, like, I, I get it. There's a risk. But you have to be aware of that risk. Mm-hmm. Like, getting... Like, check the fucking doors before you get in there. Well, not even that. Like, you need to make sure you've got, like, a taser or at least a fucking knife on you. I mean, these boys were going in bare. They had nothing. Let's go on a first date... <laughs> <laughs> first date. Yeah, let me, uh, I'll slide you $35 for our first date. Gotcha. This goes into, you know, him modding his van. William removed all inner handles from both the passenger side doors and the rear doors of his van, so I'm sorry. The only way out from the inside was the driver door. And this was in order to minimize potentials of his victims escaping. William also kept a stash of ligature ties, knives, common household tools, and other instruments which would aid in the restraining and torture of his victims. Where did he hide this shit at? No, he didn't hide it. He tried it stashed in the van. In the glove box? Be like, what you got in here? Huh? What is this? I mean, some of these victims are 12, 13, 14 years oh, old. It hurts me. Yeah. It really I mean, hurts me. You don't know. Yeah. William and Miley and Butts, <laughs> they would typically commit the murder inside the van before discarding bodies alongside or close to many freeways murder, up in California. How did, they mur- how did he murder them? He would sodomize them. He would strangle them. Mainly, he would strangle them with their own t-shirts. Oh, so there's no blood. Not really. I mean, he did drive ice picks in the head. So if you get if you get in this van and you see blood, like why the fuck would you get in? Look around but, before you close the I door. I mean, part of me thinking they're being thrown in and there's not really an option. Yeah. I'm not saying it's an easy situation to get out of at all. Like once you're in it, it's like whoa. Yeah. Like, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> Like, you don't think of, like, common sense at that time, but, like, fuck. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially, like, once you're in there and you realize you can't get out, I'm sure you're panicking. But there's nothing you can do. Because there wasn't always, like, it wasn't always William. I mean, like I said, Miley and Vernon Butts used to climb in there, too. And also... they don't think about those things, especially when you're in panic. Fuck. Especially at that age. I mean, like I said, his youngest victim was, like, 12 years old. William was convicted and tried for the very minimum of 12 murders, but he was not attacking alone and had help from any of his four known accomplices. According to the Attorney State General, the murders in their rank of brutality increase would match similar to a drug addiction, increasing dosage in order to, to reach euphoria. 
William would later stress to doctors and neurologists that he had an intense excitement when looking for new victims. So I'm gonna get into like his first murders, his initial arrest. And that's the like that's the psychotic shit. Like they're not they're not crazy in, as in the way that they don't know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, and when they know what they're doing, they are very honest upon, upon conviction. They will tell you like how it was. I had such a hard time writing this story <laughs> because things don't typically gross me out. But, like, typing about this guy, I was like, what a sick fuck. Like, (laughs) I would have to, like, stand up and just walk away (laughs) because I'd be like, this guy's fucking gross. Like, yeah. I think, like, crimes on kids are really what affects me because I'm like, they're so helpless. Yes. But, like, the first murder that William was subsequently charged for was that of a 13-year-old hitchhiker named Thomas Glenn Ludgren. The child was last seen leaving his parents' house in Rosetta around 11 a.m. on May 28, 1979. Thomas was later found that same day with only a t-shirt, shoes, and socks. Once an autopsy was performed, it showed that Thomas had suffered emasculation and bludgeoning to his face and head. His skull showed multiple fractures. In addition to bludgeoning and the fractures, Thomas also had been slashed across the throat. He was stabbed and strangled to death. He said emasculation. so like cutting of the genitals. Yeah. They found his underwear, jeans, and mutilated genitals in a field near his body. And this murder was convicted by William and Vernon Butts. And then in mid-1979, William was arrested again for molesting a 17-year-old boy, which was a violation of his parole. If only they knew. If only they knew what the fuck he had done. This would have resulted in William being sent back to prison. However, there was an administrative error prior to William's court date allowing him to be released. Frazier, I guarantee these parole officers were like, we know, we know what, like, this guy is not good. Mm-hmm. That pisses me off. If only yeah. you could just be like, throw him in the fuck in the middle of the town square and be like, this guy fucking murders and rapes, rapes bull- kids. Like kids, yeah. Let's murder him. <laughs> but you can't do that anymore. I'd have him on a firing squad, like. Not even that. I want it to be slow and painful. Fox, rocks. Yeah. Or tar and feathering. I think I don't I don't know when that was done, but like literally they like dip you in hot ass tar, and then roll you in feathers. What? It just hurts really bad. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Really? I think it was done in France. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Boiled in oil. <laughs> so literally, he got released strictly because there was an administrative error. Now Fraser, who was William's next door neighbor that provided alcohol to the children was the one who drove to pick up William from Orange County Jail. When Frazier was driving William home, William made a statement ending, no one's going to testify again. This is never going to happen to me again. You're, you're being bold. He's very bold. Do you remember that one story we did on, uh, I don't remember their name, but... Diane Downs. It was when the lady shot her kids in the backseat, and she was going to kill all of them, but the one survived, and they had to send her through counseling for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And finally, she contested against her, and that was her demise. Like He literally vowed that there would never be a, an alive victim again to testify against him. There's so many shitty people in the world. God mm-hmm. damn, I hate it. I'm going to go into the freeway killer murders, and it's kind of a little long piece. Then after that, we'll call it this episode, because this is definitely going to be a two- or three-parter. Okay. So June, just two months after the murder of Thomas, on August 4th, 1979, William and Vernon abducted a 17-year-old named Mark Shelton. Mark was simply walking from his home in Westminster to a movie theater near the Beach Boulevard. When Mark was abducted, those who were close to his home could hear his screams, leading to the fact that he had been abducted with force. Mark was violated with foreign objects such as a pool cue, 
When he was violated, his body entered a state of shock, which was ultimately his cause of death. His body was later found in San Bernito County. I mean... A state of shock is like when your body is subsequent to so much physical anguish that you just stop. I mean, he literally was sodomized by a pool cue. Yeah. He was just trying to walk to the movie theater. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean... And then, like I said, this is a slippery slope. Just one day later, William and Vernon killed Mark. They abducted another male named Marcus Grabs, who was 17 years old. And they encountered him while he was trying to hitchhike from the Pacific Coast Highway. They bound Marcus with cords and ignition wire. He remained this way until they got back to William's house. I mean, he was bound for a good amount of time. Once they arrived at his home, Marcus was sodomized, beaten, and brutally stabbed 77 times. And once um, he was dead, they disposed of his nude body in Malibu Creek. I mean, that's why they were known as the Freeway Merch. They literally used to just, like, dump them on the side of the interstate. Well, yeah, and you pick them up, they're hitchhiking. Yeah. On August 27th, uh, William and Vernon would strike again, abducting a 15-year-old from Hollywood named Donald Ray Hyden. Donald was last known to be alive when witnesses spotted him walking down the road at 1 a.m. near Santa Monica Boulevard. Why the fuck there's a 15-year-old walking down Santa Monica Boulevard by themselves at 1 o'clock in the morning? Beats me. On the day of his abduction, construction workers found Donald's body in a dumpster near his abduction site. It was confirmed that Donald had died from ligation strangulation, but prior to his death, he was bound, beaten in the face, sodomized, stabbed in the neck and the genitals, as well as bludgeoned to his skull. Do you imagine finding that body? No. No. The body would also show evidence that they had attempted to remove Donald te- Donald's testicles as well as slash his throat, but they weren't successful. But they weren't successful. They weren't able to remove his... Like, um, that's like an act of passion. You're like, I'm going to do it once or twice, and if I can't get it, I'm done. Moving on. That's that's an act of passion. Mm-hmm. When it's an act of like intent, you're going to do it no matter how long it takes. But that's how psychotic men are. Like you're, You are in an act of passion. Like There almost is no thought there. Yeah, like I said, slippery slope, because just two weeks after the murder of Donald on September the 9th, William and Vernon encountered a 17-year-old named David Lewis Murillo, who was riding his bike to a local movie theater. William and Vernon were able to lure him in the van, which would ultimately be signing his near-death wish, as once he was in the van, he was bound, raped repeatedly, badly beaten, bludgeoned, and strangled with a ligature tie. Once David was killed, his nude body was thrown over an embankment and found in a bed of ivy. Eight days later, after the murder of David, William and Vernon struck again. On September the 17th, they abducted an 18-year-old named Robert Christopher Rostek. Robert was abducted while riding his bike on his way to his job at a grocery store. His body was found 10 days later on September the 7th alongside Interstate 10. Like, there was no stopping them. They got a thing for kids riding bikes. And going to movie theaters and hitchhiking. I mean... I think they just had a sick fucking thing for kids that were helpless and were gullible. Minding their business. Yeah. He went on to have another victim until on or near November the 1st. Once William and Vernon struck again, they abducted a still unidentified man who was approximately 5 foot 10. And they were estimated to be about the age of 19 to 25 years old. This victim was found to be savagely beaten and then strangled to death before his body was then thrown in a ditch alongside State Route 99. Although his victim has never been identified, William would later state he believes this man was around the age of 23, as well as admitting to driving an ice pick into the victim's ears and nostrils. I mean, he's just a sick fuck. 
Nobody heard that. That's <laughs> <laughs> my dad texted me, are you going to be home for pizza? Hell no. <laughs> We're talking about murder. Save me some, though. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly four weeks later, William struck again, but this time solo. I think he was getting confident, and he realized, hey, I don't need somebody because mm-hmm. I'm taking underage kids. Like, I got this myself. He actually abducted and strangled a 17-year-old boy named Frank Dennis Fox, who was from Bellflower. Authorities would find his body two days later on the side of the interstate near Ortega Highway. Once they examined the body, they found that Frank had undergone extreme blunt force trauma to both the face and the head, with ligature marks around his wrists and his ankles. The authorities were also unable to find any of Frank's clothing or other identifying objects. And then only 10 days later, another youth went missing while leaving his parents. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just like a fucking slope. Um, This youth's name was John Frederick Kilpatrick. He was from Long Beach, and he was found strangled and abandoned in a remote area. His body was found December 13th. However, he was not identified until August 5th of 1980. On January the 1st, 1980, William would brutalize and strangle a 16-year-old named Michael Francis McDonald, and he was found fully clothed along Highway 71. He was found just two, day, two days later after his murder. However, he would remain a John Doe until March 24th of 1980. So for about a little over three months, mm-hmm. he was a John Doe. I think that's a good place to stop for this one. All right. We're only about are four those, pages are in. Are those all the victims? No. All right. So have we? We haven't even gone into, like, George Miley or his subsequent killings or William Pugh. So would you say these are, like, early killings? Yeah, I think that, I mean, definitely Vernon wasn't super involved after that point. Maybe here and there, but, like, he got in early and out early. And then shortly, you know, Gregory Miley decided he was going to play a key point in this as well. Ooh. So so the the cutoff is pre-Greg Miley. Yep, the next part will be Gregory Miley's Ooh, I hate that it's multiple. Yeah, I, I mean, it just blows my mind this man was able to not only convince one person... But two people to help him. It just blows my mind. Well, it's, granted, one of them had an IQ of 56, so they weren't that intelligent from the jump. It doesn't blow my mind because there are fucked up people out there. Fucked up people find fucked up people. And I, like, the population in the U.S. is high. I mean, it's just so, so crazy. And I get it. Y'all know people who are nice and shit, but... You never fuck. really know anyone. No. Ever. Crime junkie quote. Hell no. And I'm not... I'm not blaming any of the victims i'm not well like, they're young they're dumb also you're like what 24 yeah we're gonna put up more of a fight than a 12 to an 18 year old would yeah they're like oh i went to high school everybody's nice like okay well and who's to say they weren't drugged i don't know i've never read they were or they weren't but who's to say they weren't but either way you're like I'm, i just want to go to the movies some guy pulls up he's like you want to ride the movies you're like damn i don't want to walk 12 minutes but also i feel like in the 70s and the early 80s did you know that in the 60s and the 70s, there were lots of lead paint used and lead paint? Uh, a lot of the serial killers and murderers back then had lead paint poisoning. Mm, I believe it. Fun fact. So I think just people were generally psychotic back then. But a lot of people are psychotic now because we live in the day we live in. So Yep. That's very true. Got to be careful. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, next episode, I will start something new. And then the episode after that, Morgan will continue her second part of her story. Mm-hmm. Um, we really appreciate you listening. It is coming to hang out with us. So amazing to start a new season. I'm mm-hmm. very happy. Um, you can find us at Crime in the Coconut on Facebook, Instagram, or Gmail, Crime in the Coconut at gmail.com. 
Our Twitter is CITC Podcasts. With an S. With an S at the end. Um, on Twitter. I think that's it. I think that is it. It's become like a like a muscle memory <laughs> kind of thing to say all that. It took me a long time to learn it. You'll get back there. But so, not, we'll uh, see you next time. Yes, thanks. Um, stay safe, kids. Mm-hmm. Don't Bye. get in the car with random strangers.